Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 190 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is October 10th, 2011. We've got a big show for you this week on the podcast. It's the bye week and it's a short week coming up. USC plays Cal up in the Bay Area on Thursday. So we're going to talk with Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment. We've got a ton of questions to get to. So we got a lot of questions, even though it's a bye week, about this USC football team. And uh, back by popular demand, we'll have Gerard Martinez on. A little bit later on in the show, talking about USC recruiting. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you, and we got a lot of them this week. Podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address, or give us a call, 206-888-6755. Please leave a brief voicemail, and we'll play your voicemail on the air and answer any questions that you have. And I, as I mentioned, we have Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment. We love talking to him. Coach, what's up? How you doing? Well, here we go again, buddy. We're off the bye week, so it's time to get serious. we got a short week because the game's on Thursday. But if you get a big victory on Thursday, then you have more time to prepare for a big game the following weekend back at South Bend. And also uh, you can enjoy other teams as far as college football. So it can't get any better if you can get out there and win a Thursday night game and get the uh, curse off your back and then sit back and relax and play well. It can be a great week for all the Trojan fans. Certainly could be, and uh, four and one now could be five and one after this Thursday. So it could be a lot of momentum heading into the meaty part of the schedule. You got some tough teams like Oregon and Stanford and Notre Dame, so some and some tough road matchups as well. Uh, well, I want to thank our sponsor for the podcast in this segment, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com. You can give them a call one eight hundred eight 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 seven two eight seven. If you need tickets for anything, and there's some more USC games coming up, obviously, or Maybe we'll see some some Laker games or Clippers games if the lockout ever ends, stuff like that. So any kind of sporting events, theater, concerts, go to sctickets.com, and uh, they will hook you up, Coach. And uh, So, Coach, I just wanted to mention we uh, you, I got to come on your show yesterday. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on the Trojan Brunch. Ryan, it's always a pleasure. Anytime you can get down to Manhattan Beach, which you can since you live at Her- in Hermosa, come on by. We'd love to buy a breakfast and uh, talk uh, football with you. Uh, it was a lot of fun. You and Mark Willard, we had a good time with that. And uh, so it was fun coming down there for a couple of segments and got to talk about USC, a little bit of Al Davis. Uh, so that was cool. And well, I guess, Coach, we probably should get into these questions. We have a whole bunch. So uh, let's jump right in if that's okay with you. Sure, let's do it. Okay. Uh, Mark wants to know, if you have the players, you know, for, of your players, if your best corners are 5'8 and the opponent's receivers are 6'3, would you put in a corner who's not as good just because he's taller. Um, you know, he believes that a lot of people should coach that way. What would you recommend or something like that? If you put in a, a lesser talented cornerback that's actually just taller so you can go against taller receivers. Well, I definitely would. I just think it's a mismatch. I don't think smaller corners, not that they can't play football, but if you put a six, five receiver out there and a five, nine guy is, um, trying to cover him, they don't allow ladders on the field, so the only thing he can do is cover him, and it's impossible <laughs> to cover him. 
So uh, he either gets a pass interference penalty or they throw the ball up in the air. What I would do, and you think I'm kidding you, if I didn't have corners that were 6-1 or 6-2, now SC has some corners that are 6-1 or 6-2, I would train, but you usually play man down there. I'd take Lee and I'd take Woods. I'd take people like that, great receivers, and I'd teach them to play man defense in the goal line situation and cover those receivers. Or someone, a butler, I don't, I don't care who you take, but you can't let people just drive down to the 10-yard line and throw a fade route or a quick slant route, throw it up in the air, and, be, and score a touchdown. And that's happened two weeks in a row with Arizona State and Arizona. So I think you have to address that problem. You just can't sort of sweep it under the rug, because I didn't bring it up right this, this time, but this Marks brought it up, and obviously it's a, it's recognizable to everyone. It's, I, I think I said last week or whenever I talked about this topic, that's like me trying to cover Shaquille O'Neal. It, it just doesn't happen unless I foul him, and then I don't want to do that because he might get mad. So, <laughs> so, so, yes, a very good question, Mark, and that's the way I would solve that problem. Um, and there's just a note yesterday at practice, uh, they're practicing Sunday, Monday, Tuesday this week. So I'm actually not down there today because we're doing the show, but I'll be there tomorrow as well. Isaiah Wiley, who's the JC quarter, who's a taller guy, you know, six, six feet, six one that, um, he's actually was the MVP of practice lane Kiffin said, and, and he's getting a lot more reps. So they might be mixing in some taller guys. So even if they don't, you know, bring a guy over from, from the wide receiver spot, I think they do have some taller cornerbacks there at their disposal, some bigger guys, and they might try to utilize him but you might see tony burnett a little bit more as well um here's another question for you coach here's a voicemail question yeah quick question for coach harvey hyde i agree with you coach um he was on there arguing uh last sunday with the guy i forgot his name uh the sunday morning show you do about uh teams getting away from running the ball and i agree with you on that you know, you got to run the ball to win in football. I don't know what that guy is thinking. And the position he has, he should know that because he, he has access to see a lot of uh, games and things like that. But uh, I uh, agree with you, Coach, and keep up the good work. And I like the way you stood up to that guy. Well, thank you very much for uh, calling in and saying that. Uh, I'll tell you, I, I just have my opinion. I'm someone that's coached. I'm someone who's been a defensive coordinator and I've been an offensive coordinator and a head football coach and I just know that to be able to be a strong football program you have to play defense have to have special teams and you got to run the football because as a defensive coordinator you've got to respect the run if you run the football then off your off the run comes all your play action pass off the run comes all of your uh, everything. It just does. Because, uh, your linebackers then become very concerned in the running part of the football game or football team. So I just tried to explain to the gentleman that, and he had his opinion, and I had my opinion, and I sort of tried to point out that if you look at the one, two, three, four, and five teams in the country currently right now, they all run the football. And off of the run comes their passing game. It's very simple. And if you look in the, at the NFL, and he was telling me they, the NFL teams don't run the football, well, excuse me, uh, if you watch a lot of NFL football, you'll see they run the football a great deal of the time. And if you can't run the football, you're not going to win in the NFL. So uh, thank you for calling in. That's just my opinion. That other gentleman, Mark Willard was his name. He has his opinion. And 
Uh, I appreciate that. And if you remember the next segment, I asked Coach Sammy Knight when he came on, a defensive uh, coach at USC, I said, Coach, can I ask you a question first to settle an argument? And he says, what's that, Coach? And I said, to be a great football team, do you have to have a running game? And he said, absolutely. If you remember, if you continue to listen, he says, you got to run the football to win today. So that sort of answered it, and I never heard anything more about it, and we sort of moved on like we're going to do right now. So thanks a lot for calling. Yeah, thanks for that question. And we have a couple more voicemail ones that we're, we're not going to play. Um, one of them was a question about the podcast. Sometimes, Coach, people go to the Peristyle podcast page and see the, an old episode. Usually you just have to refresh your browser or maybe close your browser out and open it up again. The, the new podcast is there if we link to it on the front page of uscfootball.com. So just usually kind of a reload thing there. You might have to clear your cache or something like that, but most likely the it's up there. And if you have any problems, you can email podcast at uscfootball.com. We also had a question from Gil. When we had Chris Houston on our Ustream show last week, he's the Heisman pundit. He wanted to get a comment on uh, taking away Reggie Bush's Heisman. That's a great question. We didn't really get to talk to him about that, so I'll try to post that on the message board. I'll talk to Chris or have him post that on uscfootball.com. And then the third one we had from Guy. It was about a three-minute question. So, Guy, we love your questions, but we can't can't play a three-minute voicemail. Um, he wanted to know, uh, Coach, about some of the depth. He, he thinks the coaches are being stubborn about some of the depth that people have brought in. Like they bring in a guy like Dallas Kelly who had a, a pick six in the spring game, and then they let Chris Gallipo kind of hang out there all by himself with Lamar Dawson injured. You know, Why wouldn't they bring a guy like that in? He just wants to know about some of the depth issues and, and why they're being kind of stubborn about uh, some of those guys not getting into the game. Well, I really can't answer that question, except uh, there's either one or two ways to look at that. Obviously, they don't feel maybe Kelly can play, or they brought Kelly in for spring practice and uh, to make sure that they had a linebacker to practice with in the spring since all three linebackers were injured. Uh, I don't know what the the reason is. I know that Chris uh, went every single down, all, I think, 86 plays against Arizona. And there is a fatigue factor, especially when you're dropping back, trying to cover pass and doing all the things that he does and run the defense and so on. Uh, Basically, Dawson is the number two guy. and Was Dawson injured? I don't hear him talk about anybody else in the middle. Uh, They might have someone else. It's just like the quarterback position. I'd like someone to tell me who's the number two quarterback. If something happens to Barkley, who's the guy? I really don't know. No one talks about it, and no one really talks about certain positions as far as the depth in in certain positions. Running backs, I mean, when you look at the running back position, they moved now uh, Farmer to running back, which, uh, you know, we can debate that for two hours here. No, we can't. (laughs) No, we can't, but we could. And uh, we're not going to do that today. But, you know, the running backs that are there currently right now are mostly all four- and five-star backs. Why aren't they performing better? Why hasn't one been selected to be the guy? I don't know. Mark Tyler coming out of high school, ladies and gentlemen, was one of the best running backs I've seen come out of high school. Okay? Uh, he's, I don't know. Uh, these are questions I don't D.J. Morgan, he, he gives you all the speed that you could possibly have. And these other Carlisle, I don't know why, like you said yesterday, Ryan, why they burned a redshirt year on him, and you've got other backs. So, you know, there's a lot of things I don't know because we don't talk. I don't talk with the coaches about it, and they wouldn't tell me anyway. But there's a lot of things that a lot of us have questions about. And I can't form an opinion on some of these things 
unless I have a chance to talk to the coaches themselves. So I'm sorry that I'm alluding from the question itself, but I don't have an answer. All right. Uh, yeah, we're not really sure. Usually it comes. It seems to be like if the coaches don't have confidence. But, you know, like you said, it seems like guys could play. Uh, even a Will Andrew had, had made a bunch of plays. He's a ball hawk kind of guy. I was expecting to see him a little bit more. You know, and it, we'll see. I'm not sure. I, I, I think Joe Barry has some confidence in them, but it has to probably, I would guess it's coming from the top. Uh, but we'll see. Maybe, you know, they'll, they'll put in more guys. They talk about playing more guys, and they haven't. So, you know, we can only do what well, they me, tell let us. Let me ask you this question. You know Drew McAllister? Yeah. He could be a middle linebacker. You think I'm kidding you. He is as big as a lot of middle linebackers. He's as big as Matthews was at Oregon last year. Or bigger. Wouldn't you say he's yeah, bigger? He's big. No, he's bigger. And he's, he's actually starting to get more playing time at safety now, Coach. I'm happy to see him come in there and get uh, some I more. I am, but, too. But, but he's a tough dude. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you, he will strike a blow, and he'll give you another cover guy in there. Not that I just want to change the subject immediately, but you've got to get guys like that on the field. I agree, and you know, obviously T.J. McDonald's is a stud back there. They they put him in though. They they got some more some reps for him. So, it's yeah. I don't know. I have never talked to him about. It. Maybe we can talk to him this you know week in practice about moving to middle. <laughs> I don't know if he'd want to move, but we can talk. No, to him. no, no. I just threw that out. But I know yeah. one thing: if you asked him to play it, he'd play it. If he, he knew would. he was going to play, he certainly would. If you asked him to punt, he would. Uh, he actually played quarterback in high school. He could maybe he's the backup to Matt Barkley. Uh, okay, so we got a question from JJB. He said a few weeks ago, he sent her an email asking whether he thought Monty Kiffin was getting too old to run a defense. And Dan Weber actually answered the question, and he didn't think age made a difference. But JJB is saying here, there's clearly something wrong with the defense, and you can't blame it on lack of good players. He couldn't have just forgotten how to coach. Age seems like a likely likely candidate. Am I wrong? If so, why? Thanks. I love both the podcast and the video. Uh, this is great for USC football fans. That's JJB. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, first of all, uh, are you too old to coach football? No, you're never too old to coach football, especially uh, you love to have seniors on your staff that have been there with the lights have been on and when the lights are on and so on and coaches and younger coaches and, and players look up to these guys. They're legends. Uh, as far as, uh, the defense itself, you know, to dress to say to say the defense hasn't had problems, I think is the wrong way to address it as a coaching staff, because you've got sixty thousand people at a football game saying what's going on, and to come out and say we have no problems, we just didn't tackle well. Well, that's obvious, and uh, didn't cover well. Well, that's obvious, and to say Foles is a great player, well, he, that's obvious. But Oregon State beat Arizona last week. Now, was that a USC hangover? I don't know. Uh, SC had problems against Arizona. And Arizona, you know, had lost, well, they've lost a lot of games. So, you know, I think you do have problems on defense. I think you have to address those problems. And if you don't address those problems, when you get into the strength of your schedule, which is coming, because really, SC hasn't beaten anybody yet, guys. I mean, I don't want to say a win isn't a win. It is. But your program, your schedule, you got, you got Maynard this week with just a warm-up. I don't know how good he is, and I'm anxious to see their two receivers, Allen and Jones. Uh, I saw him last week, but we can comment on that some other time. You got Andrew Luck. You got this kid at uh, Notre Dame, who I think is getting better every single week. So you better be ready because he's going to thread the needle there, and they run the ball, and they've got as good as athletes as you do. So, you know, you've got, you've got some challenges in front of you. So you better address the problems because if you don't change, people steal from each other. You sit and watch these films and you say, look at this. 
This has been open two weeks in a row. We're going to do it, too, until they adjust to it. So I think you have to make some changes. You have to address, and you have to say, you know, yes, uh, we need to meet some changes. Not that, uh, you know, you can be stubborn about it, but, you know, you and maybe there are mistakes made. There are mistakes made by every play on offense and defense on every play. But you've got to be able to not allow a team to come in and dominate like Arizona has dominated as far as throwing the ball those downs and missing tackles and and not, you know, creating a, a pass rush and allowing a quarterback on third and nine to, that runs about your speed, Ryan, run for a first down. You can't have those type of breakdowns. That's what you call breakdowns. you got to have big play guys and that make big plays, and you can't block people down. And I see them trying to block people down a lot, especially in the secondary like Taylor Mays used to do. And you got to wrap up, and you got to settle up. You got to if the guy's going to catch the ball for a three-yard game, and you keep gaining, you keep him in front of you. You can't miss the tackle and let him run for five more yards. So these are issues I think they have to address, and they will. I hope. You know, I think all the all the Georgia fans hope. But everyone's curious to see what happens against this this Cal team, which is a more traditional offense, and uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, all right, well, thank you for that one. Bryce wants to know, it's irritating to him when people criticize or undermine, undermine Matt Barkley. He thinks he's just as good, if not better, than some of the recent USC quarterbacks. Unfortunately, he's playing with a lot more pressure since he cannot rely on the defense to bail him out. I think it's easier to play quarterback when you know a defense could bail you out and when the defense is providing good field position. Can you comment on how much you think an impact a defense could have on quarterback play? Well, I think, I think he's... That's a, that's a good evaluation. I think defense gives you field position. Defense gives you turnovers. Uh, and, and, and I think really that a lot of pressure has been put on Matt Barkley. First of all, I think it started when he was a freshman starting at USC. And people were looking to see who could this person be to be able to start as a freshman at USC. So that really re- raises your expectation of what type of football player he was or is. And I think that as time has gone on, he has not had the type of years winning and losing that everybody expects. And I think that's what his big MO is. It's not that he hasn't had great years. He's won the, what, fifth in all-time passing yardage at USC or whatever. So, you know, I think his MO is the record that what SC's had. And it's not all on him. It's not all his fault. I think that, you know, it's a different program now. And there's some things that that are happening offensively that that I think doesn't help him as far as establishing a, a real running game and some series on offense that allows him. You know, if you look at stats this past weekend, and I hate to jump around, like, look at Andrew Luck. He wasn't a top passer in the conference last weekend. Or where does he stand in the Pac-12 stats? Maybe fifth or sixth? Overall, as far as uh, total passing yards per game in the uh, Pac-12, because they do other things. They run the ball. They come off the run with play-action pass and so on and so on. But they've won every game. And and so you don't have to rely on one person all the time. I think SC relies on Matt Barkley. I, I really do. I think if he has an off day, they can't win. And uh, I, I think that uh, 
they've got to help him with play calling. They've got to help him utilize the other skilled players that are on the team. And in some, time, in some situations, they haven't done that. Against Arizona, they did. They, uh, they discovered they had other receivers on their team other than Woods. And they found out that some of them are pretty good. Well, they're all pretty good. So you've got to not throw the ball all the time to one guy. You've got to utilize and spread the field with these guys and throw it to all of them. And maybe then he'll have better success and the team will too once you decide to run the ball consistently too. All right. Uh, thanks for that one. Let's go. Mike and Chino. Sorry, we got so many. We're trying to get to them all. Uh, he wants to know about Dylan Baxter. We get probably the most questions about Dylan Baxter, the former five-star running back out of San Diego. Uh, he at least had thought he'd get in the game as a hands team guy for an onside kick. I know he's not the premier back, but he's great potential for the Wildcat and also passes out of the backfield. It's unbelievable that he was called our most talented player last year, did very well for Stanford, and didn't even step onto the field hardly at all this season. That's Mike and Chino. We could, we could talk about Dylan Baxter for two hours probably. Oh, you could. You know, I think um, Dylan Baxter is a great athlete. He's certainly demonstrated that. He was in high school and so on. He's a very mature athlete. He scored 72 touchdowns his senior year, whether you believe that or not, ladies and gentlemen, either part of it running or passing. So that, that means he, he can play football. I think he needs to find the right position. I think he lacks the blazing speed and nothing against this young man because he's a winner. He wants to play. Hey, if he didn't want to play, that's a different story. He wants to play somewhere. If you look at him, he reminds me of a kid like Welker, this kid that plays for New England. Uh, in some programs, maybe not at USC, I, I'm not sure. To me, he reminds me of a great slot type of player, a guy you can get him the ball, and he's got quick moves, and he can run around and uh, make a lot of yards in space. And, and, and I think he has good hands. And, and I think he'd be a great type of slot player, a guy getting the ball real quick, running down the middle. Welker, I don't think, is 4-5 or 4-4. Four, four. He's probably 4-6, four, 4-7. Four, I think that's what Dylan Baxter is. But at USC, I'm not quite sure if he'll get on the field because of the great group of receivers that USC has. I don't know how many people watched DeAnthony Thomas this past week, a freshman at the University of Oregon, touched two catch two touchdown passes and yes he's got better speed than DeAnthony but he's the same type of player would he be playing at SC right now as a receiver I wouldn't think so I really don't think so I would think that that he would have to redshirt or I don't know where they were going to play him at a defensive back but he'd be a small defensive back would he be a running back at SC I don't think so but they utilize him by putting him in a position where he can utilize his great speed and run away from guys who are playing mad. Cal, Cal tried to play mad on him. You're not going to play mad if he has time to throw the ball. He just runs away from you. But you can use the same type of ability that Dylan Baxter has in space with his great quickness. Catches the ball, and you try to tackle him. It gives you a move, and you miss him, and he makes 10 more yards. So I think his M.O. in the future or here at SC or wherever he goes or so on, May not be that of a running back, but as that type of position. That's great stuff, Coach. Um, we'll see. I mean, we, that's another we'll see with uh, Dylan Baxter. People are everyone's asking him in, in practice. He did line up a little bit more in the slot uh, at practice yesterday, so we'll see if they're going to try to get him in doing some different stuff. I don't know. I mean, we but we haven't seen him run the ball as much as I thought we would, and we haven't seen him run the Wildcat, which I thought he would do very well at. So. 
Uh, let's see. Mark and Laquita has an interesting question. He said, there's been much criticism uh, directed at Coach Kiffin for calling his own plays. The discussion is centered on the burden that it places on a head coach. Then he names like seven different coaches in the Pac-12 that do call their own plays. Sarkeesian, uh, Kelly, Harbaugh, Shaw, Riley, Tedford, Neuheisel. Um, I don't know. if Does Neuheisel call the plays or is it? Uh, uh, Mike Johnson might. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, uh, let's see. If, if you include Coach Kiffin, that means seven of the 12 coaches in the Pac-12 call their own plays. Play calling isn't too much of a burden if you have the players making plays. The issue on offense is that we have a young offensive line and a lack of running backs that make plays. He wants to know when was the last time you saw a, a USC running back make a player miss miss a tackle like Robert Woods did on the second play of last week's game. That's Mark and Laquita. So he, he doesn't feel that it's calling your own plays. Other coaches do it, and he feels it's lack of playmakers, really, for USC. Well, it's not a lack of athletes. I've got to disagree a little bit. I think uh, athletic-wise, athlete-wise, I wouldn't change your roster with anybody in the Pac-12. Uh, as far as play calling wise, I think uh, you need to be more relaxed and more into the game calling plays. If you watch the other coaches call plays, they're they're active on the sideline. Uh, they're older. They're probably more experienced than Coach Kiffin. Um, and they 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 interact with other phases of the game. They're they're running the actual game, uh, as far as special teams, as far as defense, and they're congratulating players on great plays and so on. And Coach Kiffin seems to lean complete to the offensive side of the football, and his method of calling plays is somewhat unique. Uh, as an offensive coordinator might uh, on some levels where you just are focused on the offensive side of the football and you somewhat do not get that concerned about anything else, especially like I think it indicated uh, last week when McDonald ran over to the sideline and gave him the football and his two interceptions. And I'm not quite sure if Coach Kiffin even knew why he gave him the ball to, to indicate to him, here's the ball, Coach, we got your turnover. I think the kid was positive and excited about what he's doing, about the other one over there, and Coach Kiffin was so focused on trying to figure out what's going on offensively to get going, he never had a chance to hug the kid, kiss the kid, beat him on the helmet, do whatever you want to do. So I, I think there's he, he just shows that part of him, but that doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean he's a bad person. It doesn't mean any of that. And I think it's his method of communicating as people watch him continuously during the game and at different times. If everything was working perfectly and they were scoring 50 points a game and everything was, nobody would say anything. Nobody would say, hey, this guy has got it down. That's the way he does it. So, you know, you got to look at it. You know, it's easy to criticize, and I'm one that has, uh, as far as his method of calling and what's going on. Me, I was the type of guy that was, in everybody's face. I knew every official personally because he knew me because he saw me coming. And the same with guys on the sideline when, you know, players made great plays, I would give them the chest bump and all of those things. And I like doing that. I like being very emotional, but there's different ways of winning. So, you know, I, I think that it's difficult 
to be a coordinator and a head coach. But uh, if you're successful, no one criticizes you. If you're not very successful, then they do. All right. Uh, thanks for that one, Mark and La Quinta. Let's go to Greg. Sorry, we're, we're trying to rapid fire through these. It's tough. Uh, it's great, though. We have a lot of questions, Coach. I'm glad people are involved. Um, Greg had a bunch of questions. I'll, I'll give you two of them real quick. One, is it possible Lane and Monty are holding things close to the vest, their real defensive strategy to use against Stanford and Oregon? And the other part he wants to talk about is uh, defenders being able to uh, hit the ball carry and try to wrap up instead of going for the highlight real play. He said he noticed only a couple of tacklers where the tackler actually spread his arms out to encircle the ball carrier. Most of the time, that was the second or third guy, and he's seeing a little bit too more of like the highlight hits as opposed to wrapping up tackling. Well, I tell you, I hope to not save anything for Stanford and Oregon, but you need it right now. I mean, uh, uh, I don't, I don't think you do that in college football or on any level. You got to win one game at a time, and if you have something, you better utilize it against the offense or the defense uh, to either stop somebody or to score on somebody. So I, I don't think you're saving anything for anybody. You don't have time to save anything. You'll save too long and you won't be around. So uh, as far as tackling, we addressed that a moment ago. Yes, I do think that, especially out of the secondary play. And I think McDonald is one that does that. I, I hate to say this because he's a playmaker and he makes things happen. and He's a very excitable player. But he tries to knock you out sometimes and make that highlight film hit and the guy doesn't go down. And I think you do have to wrap up. You do not have to make a, a highlight hit, but you have to make the tackle and wrap up and bring the guy down to the ground. And uh, I agree with that. I agree that you have to tackle better, and you cannot be oh so overly aggressive that your timing either is on or off, and sometimes you end up trying to block people down rather than tackle them. And sometimes if you're a smaller corner, uh, you utilize that technique because it's very difficult on you taking a hit every time you tackle. So you use what you call a cut tackle, where you come in and cut down below the knees and the guy falls forward for two more yards because you're just not physically big enough to come in and wrap up on some of these bigger receivers today. Uh, All right. Well, thank you for that one, Greg. Let's see. We've got... David has a, a real issue. Uh, it's another defensive question. We get a lot of defensive stuff. Um, he talked about Pete Carroll and the, his in, in cover two, you know, Tampa Bay cover two stuff and its variations. Um, but he talked about, he believed that the longer the offensive team held the ball, the more plays they had to make in a drive down the field, the more likely it was that they would make a mistake. And that's kind of the whole bend but don't break thing. However, he said the pass defense under Carroll after 2005 got weaker and weaker, and he's seeing the same kind of thing with Monty Kiffin and Lane Kiffin there. Um, he's got a real issue with the amount of cushion that the receivers are given from the defensive backs. And it's third and 10 or third and five. It's it, third and five. It doesn't seem to matter. You're doomed to having history repeat itself because the defender will start five yards off. And as the receiver comes off the line, the defender will backpedal another five or 10 yards downfield. Why don't the coaches notice this and do something about it? Do they actually believe they're going to make stops and create turnovers by letting receivers catch the ball, run for an easy first down, and then try to hit the hell out of them. It's not the 70s. That's that's from David. That's what he wants to know, Coach. Well, David, I, I see the same thing, and uh, I think that uh, you saw more of that with the Pete Carroll era. You see some of it now, but I used to see the same thing. What used to get me the 
the most is I, I, the receiver's on the five-yard line and defensive back is playing three yards in the end zone. I said, wow, how do you cover this guy? You drive off, he backpedals or comes up, you're already in the end zone, they throw the pass, touchdown. So uh, I don't think they're doing that now down there. Uh, we discussed that earlier, too, as far as the man coverage. But I agree. I think there's times you have to change things up. You, you really do. You just can't sit in one defense anymore. Offensive coordinators are too good, and, and players are too good today. They'll carve you up. If they know what you're doing defensively, they just eat you alive. They, they really do. They, so today, you know, you have great athletes and great quarterbacks and great coaches with great minds. And if they know what you're going to be doing on defensively, they're going to carve you up. I think you really got to disguise what you're doing on defense where they just can't assume and when they assume you are doing the same thing all the time i think it's the same thing on offense if you knew the same play on offense that the team was going to run every single down you might be able to stop it so it's the same thing on defense if you run the same coverage and the same play or the same call every single play on defense well pretty hard it's yet you don't know what to do and what to do against it so I think uh, it's it's playing offense on defense. I've always said that. I used to want to run my defense like my defensive philosophy is playing offense. Confuse the offense, play games with them, attacked, take some chances, play not to lose but play to win. And and I think that's what you have to do. You have to have that attitude. you got to be able to make the big play on defense and the same thing on offense. You're playing not to lose, you play to win. And I think that's something you have to do. All right, David, thank you for that one. Uh, a couple of quick ones. Coach, Stephen Poway, I read that T.J. Bryant may be redshirting this year. Can someone who has already played a season and is not eligible for a medical redshirt still take a regular redshirt season? I thought once a player played their freshman year, they were no longer eligible for a redshirt year unless it was medical. I don't think that's true, Coach, but do you know? Yeah, you can. You can play your freshman year and redshirt the next year. So no doesn't issue. have to be a medical redshirt. You can just redshirt a player, and uh, he goes to school and practices and so on. You can do that. A kid's got five years to play for. So, uh, yeah, you can take a regular redshirt year. It does not have to be your freshman year. It could be your junior year even. Okay. So, okay? All right. Thanks, Stephen Poway. Um, then Evan wanted to know, he said, did Coach Kiffin say something about switching up the defense this week against Cal? And I don't recall him saying anything like that, Coach. I know last year they – they did switch it up a little bit. They were more of an attacking style in the first the first half, and you saw it worked really well. And then they kind of got back to what they normally do, I think, later on. But it, I don't think Coach Kiffin would say anything about that, even if they were going to switch things up. But uh, it's more of a traditional offense, Coach, so I, I think it, it matches well with what they do on defense because that's what they face in practice every day. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, Maynard isn't a guy that's going to burn you on the run. You got to keep. You got to contain him, though, because they'll run the bootleg. They like the bootleg out of their regular traditional power and so on, and they like to run power at you and so on. So you know you got to contain him, but you got to know where he is. He isn't going to hurt you on the run. So he'll be the most uh, statue type of quarterback they've probably played so far this year, and he's a lefty. So. Uh, uh, and, you know, they, they've thrown the ball, and uh, they've got a couple of receivers that's caught the ball 29 or 30 times apiece. And uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, personally, uh, you know, SC should beat Cal. I, I really believe I don't know who they played. I mean, they played, let's see, Presbyterian, 
<laughs> and I'm not quite sure where that is. <laughs> and they played, uh, well, I, obviously, don't get me wrong, uh, Oregon is a great team, and we saw what happened there. They played them good in the first half, but it takes a little bit more than that. SC's played Oregon good in the first half, a couple games too, and the second half they sort of get going. If, if you remember, Stanford played Oregon pretty good in the first half last year and ended up getting beat. So you got to play Oregon a full game. And I can't remember who else they played. I mean, they played Washington and lost a close game to Washington. But, you know, Washington, if you notice Washington, they're getting better every week. They're getting a little bit better every week. They're, they're starting to get an identity on themselves. And you can see the confidence of them coming along. They gave Utah a good beating. Uh, I think it started after Nebraska. They started to believe in themselves. They went to Nebraska. They played Nebraska pretty good. And up to this week, I didn't know how good Nebraska was, but somehow they came back and beat Ohio State this week, and I'm not sure how good Ohio State is. So uh, I'm not quite sure who they played in their opening game, but I think, you know, and SC hasn't played a great schedule either. They've won, but I think I think SC and Cal, at Cal, it's not going to be the same as Strawberry Canyon, okay? Yeah, they're going to have a lot of fans there at AT&T Stadium, but it's it's different. It's going to be different not only on the stadium, it's going to be different on a Thursday night. Now, they played last Thursday, but this is a home game. Uh, it's going to be distractive. To me, playing that type of – I think both teams are on the same side of the field, if I remember correctly. I don't know. At least they are for the bowl game. So it's going to be a little bit different, and, and I think SC has to go up there and be focused. They should be really healthy, and uh, I don't want to get into game planning right now, but <laughs> they should they should get a W. That's that's what I, I really do. They should get a W against Cal. All right, and then one last quick one, Coach. I'll just answer it. Uh, Pat wanted to know, what are those black rubber things players wear in their arms and sometimes their calves? What good do they do? I think it's just a fashion statement. I thought there might be some of those, like, balance hologram things but from whatever i've read i haven't talked to uh any of the guys yet demetrius wright does like to wear them it makes his arms look really good he wears like a couple of them like on his uh, you know near his shoulder and his uh bicep and stuff but i think they're just a fashion statement but that pat wanted to know that i don't know do you know anything about those coach yeah i think they're fashion statements uh, you know and then also how about the black under the eyes now used to be you just used to put a a line under your eye for the, the sun to, so you don't get the glare now they paint their whole face, some guys. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you see some guys with one of those armbands. You see some of them with two. You see some of them with the biceps and some of them on their calves. It's just a fashion statement. And before long, the NCAA will come out with some type of rule stating you can't wear those anymore. Just like the towels. Remember the towels? Remember to stick them on your arms? Remember all those different things that you used to be able to do? Uh, all of a sudden, Somewhere something's going to happen where they're going to say you can't do that anymore. Yeah, well, we'll see. But it's funny. If you see Demetrius Wright get out there, he definitely wears them. So he's one guy you can watch. He wears them really well. Uh, yeah. Well, Coach, thanks very much. Uh, it was a great segment. It's a long segment. Thanks for getting to all those questions. Uh, really, it's tough. <laughs> I mean, we get so many, but it's great. We love that all the questions. I think we'll get a lot this week too because we got the game on Thursday, so we'll get some some early questions. But it's always fun having you on, Coach, and. Uh, it was fun being on with you yesterday on the Trojan Brunch, and we'll talk to you again soon. Hey, guys, thank you again for all of your questions. We appreciate it very much. Ryan, thank you very much for letting me be a part of your outstanding uh, 
website, uscfootball.com. And I can't wait to go to it to see what else is going on. Okay, buddy? All right, Coach. Thanks again. And everyone else, we'll be back in 30 seconds. We're going to talk to Gerard Martinez all about USC recruiting. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. Let's talk some USC recruiting in this segment. National recruiting analyst for USCfootball.com, Gerard Martinez, joins us on the line. What's up, Gerard? How you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. I'm back. I'm back after a long sabbatical from the podcast. Not a sabbatical in general, just a sabbatical from the podcast. Yeah, it's been tough. We had so much uh, team news going on and team stuff. with, the, And we had a lot of team questions again today, but we have a lot of recruiting questions too. And I know there was, uh, Jeff was out there, sent a whole bunch of questions, and uh, we hadn't got to him in the last couple of weeks. So we're going to answer some of his. And thanks to all the recruiting questions that were coming in. And uh, Gerard, we might, we might as well get right to it. What do you think? Let's just get right to it. If we got that many questions... We have to get right to it. We okay. don't have time to dilly-dally. No dilly-dallying today. All right, well, uh, Aaron wants to know, he says he lives in the Inland Empire and arguably the best defensive player in the country is Safety Sal Cravens. He has some big-time offers. I realize he's just a junior, but the kid can really play. I'm wondering if USC is recruiting him because there's no mention of USC in his list of schools. Love the show, boys. Aaron. Wow, the best player in the country. Well, for 2013... He could be making uh, an argument for that, uh, at least best player in California. Um, I think he's definitely one of the top players. Uh, right now he's playing safety and running back and just tearing it up, doing both. Uh, you know, Vista Marietta went out and played a, a really good Crespi team and blew them out a couple weeks ago, and a lot of that has to do with Cravens um, just being kind of a one-man show offensively and defensively. They definitely got a good team there in Vista Marietta, uh, but he's kind of the go-to guy as a 2013 recruit. Um, he's really kind of projected still as an outside linebacker, and uh, and I think that's where he's going to end up playing. Um, but, uh, you know, you'd like to see those type of recruits that are guys that are top-ranked, that you really talk a lot about, being able to make an impact at the high school level of various positions, and that's what he's doing. So uh, he's definitely backing it up this year. Uh, as far as USC is concerned, they are recruiting him, and I suspect they're going to start recruiting him a lot harder here uh, in the near future. Um, they had a bye week. I haven't been able to check in to see uh, if he received a, a visit from USC, but I have to think here in the near future that uh, they're going to start talking about an offer. At this point, it would be a verbal offer. Uh, he has several verbal offers uh, from schools like UCLA and Notre Dame. Um, he's going to probably become a national recruit here in the next few months as schools are able to start to get some of his junior film, and they're starting to see him in person. The first time we saw him in person was at the Nike camp, and he was very good. Um, he was there with kind of a, a not a great 
group of linebackers. Um, Jabari Ruffin was kind of the top athlete of the group and, and ended up, you know, kind of hurting his ankle and didn't do one-on-ones. So we didn't watch a lot of one-on-ones with the running backs and the linebackers this past year at the Los Angeles Nike camp. Uh, but he definitely was a guy that stood out among that pack and uh, really with the pads on, and that's really the most important thing. He's had a tremendous year this year. So I anticipate USC is going to definitely get in the mix. And I'd be kind of shocked at this point if they didn't offer him a scholarship uh, sometimes between now and, and January. Okay, thanks for that one, Aaron. Let's see, we have David wants to know, if you have Gerard on the podcast, which we do, would you ask him to give an update on Ellis McCarthy? I was wondering what he thinks our chances are. I know Gerard loves giving percentages. Uh, That's sarcastic. And who our stiffest competition is. And JD and DC also wanted to know, is there a plan B, recruiting-wise, if Ellis McCarthy doesn't sign with USC? Wow, I think the last question first uh, plan B is kind of tough to see. I mean, there's no real guy that you're going to get that uh, kind of takes the place of signing Ellis McCarthy, 6'5", 3'11", runs a 4'9". He's kind of a plug-in player, I think, as a true freshman, a guy that's going to get in the rotation, is going to play for you. Um, but, you know, you've got to have a guy there that's going to be a possibility uh, maybe he's not going to have the same kind of impact as a freshman, uh, but as you know, obviously a guy that maybe you can bring in the program and, and can do some things for you. Uh, Aziz Shitu, six three, two seventy five from Fresno, USC, has offered him already. You kind of get the feeling like he's maybe the number two behind Ellis McCarthy. They're recruiting both those guys, but if you kind of had a plan B. I think those guys are not going to end up at the same school, so I think USC would try to get Aziz Shitu. Uh, he's definitely going to be a good player, um, definitely has the ability to be a dominant player in college, maybe not quite as early as Ellis McCarthy just because Ellis is that big already and kind of has that uh, go-to size as a freshman. Um, but, you know, Aziz Shitu is a guy that's quick. He's a little shorter, a little better with leverage. He's got long arms. Um, he can be a great pass rusher as well as a guy that's uh, going to be uh, good in his, uh, you know, kind of a, a one-gap scheme um, where he can kind of focus in on the three technique and, and kind of take away the run. Um, so he's a guy that's, you know, definitely going to be a big-time player down in college, and I think he would kind of be the plan B. Another guy to watch that's it's lower on the list, but just a player that impressed me a lot in person uh, is Christian Powell. He's a guy you know, about 5'11", 245 pounds, and really a lot smaller, you know, almost half the size of a guy like McCarthy, but really impressive versus Norco when I saw him in person. I mean, this is a kid that I think he had like 11 tackles in the first quarter alone against a pretty good Norco team and just amazingly quick. And you hear a lot of those comparisons with those undersized, you know, defensive linemen, uh, Mike Patterson, because, you know, Coach Ergeron coached Mike Patterson and made him an All-American, made him, you know, an NFL uh, draft pick. And it was a guy that a lot of people were sleeping on coming out of high school because he was so short. And, you know, it's hard to see if Christian Powell's going to be that guy that can actually put on that kind of weight, you know, end up being a guy that's playing around 300 pounds. But he's so fantastically quick, and, I mean, he's really amazing to watch. I think he's a guy that USC's going to watch down the line. And, uh, you know, if you don't get a McCarthy, then you maybe got room for a guy at the last minute. And Christian Powell's a guy that doesn't have any offers, and I just find that to be just uh, incredibly disappointing uh, with, with just scouts in general and college football. I mean, if, if people haven't been able to see this kid at Upland and watch him play on film and then watch him in person and don't come to the conclusion that, you know, Washington State – 
maybe even Utah. I mean, some of these schools should already have offered him. I mean, he is just the no-doubt type guy that you should have a Division One offer, and he doesn't thus far. So we'll see. He also plays fullback on offense. It kind of shows you what kind of athleticism he has. So that's a guy that's kind of a diamond in the rough, kind of down the, the board a little bit. But, uh, you know, maybe a plan A, B, and C there for USC, a defensive tackle. All right. Uh, thanks for that one. Let's see. We have a couple more from JD and DC. Uh, three different players. Ishmael Adams, he wants to know, uh, does USC really need another undersized cornerback? Kyle Murphy, do you think he's on the top of the USC O-line board right now? And will Matt Khalil's going pro influence the decision? And then Darius Rogers, is he up for, is he up mentally and talent-wise for coming to USC and competing against some of the guys that USC has, like Woods, Lee, Butler, Flournoy, Prater, for playing time? Uh, well, let's uh, talk a little about Kyle Murphy out of the out of the shot here. I think Matt Khalil will have some influence on this decision. I think Matt Khalil leaving and, and that spot at left tackle being open to a freshman is pretty intriguing to a lot of these kids up and down the West Coast. Um, obviously, you know, I don't think USC really has a true left tackle on the roster that can just slide over there. A lot of people have talked about maybe Kevin Graff playing that position. I don't think it's going to be his natural position. I think that's really a little bit of a square peg in a round hole. Um, you know, maybe uh, the talk of Andre Walker going over there, but again, I think he's more of a guard. USC really doesn't have that prototypical left tackle, and I think that uh, if Matt Khalil leaves, which I think we kind of anticipate he's going to, there's going to be a lot of guys that uh, are going to be eyeing that ability to go in there and really from day one have a, a legit shot at starting a left tackle. And, you know, that's a, a little nerve-wracking for USC fans. And I know if Matt Barkley comes back next year, it's going to be nerve-wracking for him too. Uh, we've talked a little bit about that connection. You know, Matt Barkley return if Matt Khalil leaves, knowing that his blind side might have true freshman blocking for him. So, you know, I think it will have some influence. Uh, talking to, you know, to uh, – to Kyle, he's pretty tight-lipped about you know where he's leaning and, and what schools he likes the best. Uh, I kind of still get the feeling that it's a little bit of uh, maybe Stanford USC battle, and uh, he likes USC though. And I think a lot of people kind of underestimate you know where USC sits with them and uh, that ability to play early as a tackle um, that that could be that could be big time for him. Um, so uh, you know we'll see kind of what goes down uh, with that whole thing. Um, who were the other two players I was so asked Ishmael about? Ishmael Adams, the uh, undersized corner. Ishmael Adams, you know USC's kind of played with him a little bit, talked with him. Do they need another undersized corner? No, <laughs> no. I mean, you want the best player you can, and Ishmael Adams is a very good player. Um, but I don't know that he's a guy that's. You know, I don't know if he's going to get an offer. I think right now they're probably if there's a guy that's a that's a plan B for Kevon Seymour, and he is really clearly the plan A. Uh, they they might even look at the JUCO route beforehand. Uh, they they're looking at some receivers even, you know, and and maybe look at those guys to see if they can move over and play corner. You got guys like Devontae Neal uh, from Scottsdale, Arizona, who's you know about five ten, one hundred seventy five pounds receiver that could play corner. Uh, maybe even a guy like Gabe Marks who's a six-foot, under-75-pound receiver from Venice, who's a very good receiver, but he's also very physical and aggressive. And he's a guy maybe you could look at and, and flip. Um, so I, I kind of get the feeling, you know, they, they probably feel like they have their fill of 5A corners, and uh, I don't know if they want to go after another guy like that. Uh, but Ishmael is, is a solid player. And then uh, Darius Rogers about, you know, is he up mentally and talent-wise for competing at USC? 
That's a good question. That's really the best question of the three as far as, you know, kind of getting into the real details of recruiting and, and, and kind of evaluating players. You know, we like what Darius Rogers brings to the table as a playmaker. I mean, he's a guy that kind of has Alshon Jeffrey type ability in terms of, you know, you just throw the ball up and he's going to come down with it. Um, that's really where he's at his best is kind of playground football where you just throw the ball up and he wins the 50-50 ball. Now, in terms of kind of, you know, improving his underneath routes, being a possession receiver that can get low on the ball and kind of outfight guys uh, on, on a slant route or, or an in route, that's kind of where you want to see more consistency from him. Um, he's not necessarily a guy that's going to be a, a burner, so you're not going to really use him a lot as a vertical threat. Right now in high school, he can get away with that you know, because he's playing against guys that are just clearly not as athletic as he is. But when you get to college, that's where there's a big jump for a lot of these receivers in terms of speed. You're playing against guys that are just as fast as you. So that's going to be taken away from him. He has to be able to be more consistent. And in terms of disposition, kind of those intangibles, is he a guy that's going to willing to be a part of a receiving core? We've seen him certain times not get the ball, get frustrated, pout a little. You kind of wonder, you know, USC's got good receivers. He's not coming into a program that they've only got one other guy and he's graduating, and Darius Rogers is the next in line. And regardless of what happens, they kind of swing, sink or swim with Darius Rogers. It's not going to happen at USC. He's going to have guys that are across from him that he has to play with. He has to be a part of a receiving core. And that is a question that has yet to be answered. I don't know it will be answered until he gets to college. You know, he's also looking at schools like Arizona State. Uh, you know, there's some talk of Cal coming in. Uh, you know, he's kind of got his eye out there, and there's some schools maybe where he could become a little more of the man early on, and it would be trial by fire with him. Uh, at USC, he's going to be easily kind of gradually brought in to the receiving core. You're going to have guys like Marquise Lee. You know, Robert Woods will still be there for a year. Uh, you know, they're going to recruit another receiver in this class. So he's going to be part of kind of a, a bigger thing. You know, can he be, you know, greater than the sum of all the parts kind of thing? Uh, I, I don't know yet. You know, he's definitely got to stay focused and be a guy that understands that, um, you know, uh, it, it could work to his benefit if he's playing across from some other great receivers and he can do his thing a little more and be a little more specialized in, in what he does well. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll kind of we'll, we'll kind of see, you know, how it goes. It will affect his ability um, or, or his, his commitment to USC and, and whether he, he sticks with his commitment. Yeah, I mean, I think that's going to be a little bit of something that, that kind of we have to watch for kind of coming down into January. You know, does he get a little cold feet because USC, maybe there, there's talk of another receiver coming in like uh, Nelson Aguilar. Or, you know, right now I don't think, you know, a guy like Jadon Mickens is, is threatening at all to Darius Rogers. Obviously, Mickens is a totally different player. You know, he's about 5'9", 170 pounds. He's a little fast guy that you put in the slot. But our sense is that's probably not going to be the second receiver for USC brings in. Uh, a lot of people, uh, kind of sources, feel like he's not going to be a Trojan at the end of the day. And so Darius Rogers is going to be playing with somebody else in the class. And if it's a guy that's, you know, got equal ability or is a receiver that's similar to him, you know, I may scare him off. So we're going to have to see. It's, it's a lot of wait and see, you know, recruiting changes all the time, you know, as far as how he plays with the system. Uh, we're not going to really know until he gets to college before we kind of see what, you know, how he reacts to that. All right. Uh, well, let's, uh, Jeff had a few questions. He's the one that's been writing in one. Thanks for being patient, Jeff. Uh, let's see. First one, he wanted to know, can USC go out and recruit 20 to 25 guys for the class of 2012, but then at the end near the, the, of the end of the signing day period or a week or two before that, 
pull back some of their offers. He's like, what's the ethical procedure there? He wants to know because, you know, what happens if you get 15 commits in a week before signing day? Some of the big name five-star guys like Pete or Beckham or Ellis McCarthy uh, say they want to commit, but all the spots are filled. If kids can decommit, why can't teams? Teams can and teams will. I think, you know, obviously you've got a little bit of difference between just pulling an offer from a kid that you're recruiting and pulling an offer from a kid that has already committed to you. Um, I think USC just has to be very uh, methodical about how they take commitments. Um, Obviously, they haven't had a commitment in a long time here uh, since the summer. I don't know if that's really going to change unless it's somebody that they feel like they want 100% sure and they can get in 100%. Um, and, and I think in that case, you could definitely see maybe a commitment here um, you know, sometime in the next couple of weeks. But they're going to have to be sure of guys that, they, that they're bringing in um, in terms of talent, in terms of where they fit in the program. And I think you'll see them sort of kind of spreading out those commitments as you get closer to signing day and maybe not put – you know, five guys that they have five spots for ready and they'll wait till signing day and say, okay, let's cross our fingers. I don't think you can have that. I don't even think you can necessarily have what they had uh, last year for signing day. I, I, I think when you have that limited amount of spots and you're talking about, you know, 18, 20 guys, you've got to maybe, you know, kind of have some of these guys give you a yay or nay, you know, coming up that week of signing day. And so you kind of know who's coming and who's not because it really, the margin of error is much less this year. Um, so you don't want to start pulling offers from guys who are committed. Is that ethical? No, it's not ethical. I mean, let's just be real about it. It's, you can't say, kid, yeah, you know, we've got a spot for you and, uh, you know, you commit to us and, and you're good to go. And then all of a sudden, you know, in January, it's like, well, you know, uh, uh, we changed our mind about that. You know, we had somebody we like better. That you, you really can't do it. it. It's not ethical. And you know what? It's not necessarily ethical for a kid to turn around and, and, and leave a, a, a school, you know, standing with their hands in their pockets on signing day either. They're kids and everybody says, well, they don't know any better, even though a lot of time they have support and they have, you know, advice and, and people and mentors around them that should know better and they should be held accountable for some of that stuff that goes on, you know, towards the end, towards signing day. Um, but at the end of the day, it is what it is. Uh, USC's got to really do a good job of kind of just spreading out those commitments and, you know, maybe signing day, maybe there's one guy that they're waiting on, they're not sure, maybe two guys. I think the margin of error does have a little bit of a buffer because of the early enrollees. I mean, that will allow them to, I mean, they're going to know for sure the guys that are coming in in December. So you kind of have those guys that you bring in and then you kind of go for that last stretch, you know, into January. And um, I, I think they're going to try to want to push some of these guys maybe a little earlier than the uh, last-minute signing day hat switch than uh, that they get, you know, normally every year. All right. Uh, good stuff there. Jeff also wanted to know about uh, Monty Kiffin and Joe Barry. What kind of influence do they have of some of the, the big players in Florida like Nelson Aguilar? You know, truth be told, uh, they have a lot of pull. Monty himself has a ton of pull in Tampa. Um, every time you see uh, any player is from that Tampa area that's being recruited by USC talk about USC uh, they talk glowingly about Monty Kiffin, and not only those players, but the high school coaches in those areas. So USC definitely has angles there. I mean, they definitely do a good job of of seemingly having a lot of information on those kids' background, pretty much have the pulse of what's going on in that area. Uh, it's kind of an island unto itself. I think er- anywhere else outside of Florida, that's not necessarily true. We saw that with Kent Tureen, a guy out of South Florida where, 
you know, that, that thing kind of, it, it, it just, it, it really kind of went all over the place for USC. They didn't really know what was going on with him, uh, you know, as he started taking visits, and then he supposedly committed to Georgia, and that, they really didn't know what was going on until it kind of broke, and he ended up saying, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to commit to Georgia. And so that kind of became a little bit of a mess. Um, and so, I, but you, when you start talking about the guys in Tampa, I, I think they have a little better feel of what's going on on the ground there. And I think just, you know, there's just a tremendous amount of respect for Monty Kiffin. Joe Barry doesn't really recruit that area. Uh, you know, technically, he's he's more of a Northwest guy. He's in Arizona. Um, he, so he's not really recruiting those guys. Obviously, if it's a linebacker, he's going to be more involved with those players there. Uh, but really, it tends to be Monty Kiffin. And, um, you know, Monty's not obviously the, the relentless recruiter that uh, Ed Erzron is. I mean, I, I don't think he's flying there on, on, on his days off to, to go, you know, look at kids and stuff like Ed would do. Um, he's you know, got that NFL mentality a little more. But I think sort of like maybe Neil Chow, um, you know, a decade ago at USC basically, uh, kind of recruited himself with his name. You know, the name Monty Kiffin goes really far, like I said, especially in that Tampa area. And I think, um, you know, community-wise, he's probably done a lot for Tampa Bay, and, and people remember that. And so I think that's really the biggest influence in where that comes in when you're talking about kids like Nelson Aguilar, uh, Tyreek McCord, um, those type of players that uh, really seem like USC, and it seems like they always have a couple guys from Tampa that talk highly of USC. Okay, and then last one from Jeff. He's uh, sorry for all the questions, but uh, the deep tackle situation, he wanted to know about Eric Armstead, maybe have him move inside there. He likes, uh, he said there's no reason Eric can't get up to 300 to 310 with his athletic ability from basketball and all that footwork. I think the move would well work well inside. What do you think about Eric Armstead maybe moving inside? It's it's a move that's been discussed already with Ed Erdron, and we talk about Plan Bs to Ellis McCarthy. Um, you know, uh, Eric Armstead kind of might be a Plan B. Um, obviously, with his height, I think you get a little worried about whether he's a little too angular to play inside. Um, you know, six eight, that's pretty tall for a defensive tackle. And you sometimes get some guards that are in that 6'3 range and they get underneath your shoulder pads, they're going to walk you back to your linebacker. So I think that might be a little bit of an issue. But as a three technique, he's definitely a guy that they've talked about with that. And um, I, I know the coaching staff uh, has, has just been in discussions with it. Um, there's also a lot of talk about him coming in and playing uh, that, uh, that, that strong side defensive end, which is the same position that his brother Armando plays. Um, you know, Armand, we kind of have to see what happens with, with him and whether he returns, whether that has an impact on Eric's decision itself. A lot of people are, I should say, a lot of people, a lot of USC fans are very worried about kind of how that happens and, you know, how that all plays out. We're, we're going to have to see here in December, January how that plays out. But um, but definitely, and, and Eric Armstead's one of those guys that's a December enroll, uh, graduate, so he's going to be a January enrollee, and that's a guy that, you know, they're going to know sooner rather than later what's going on with Eric Armstead. And that's a good thing. Scott Starr, Elvin York, they're getting a solid nucleus of guys that are coming in early for spring ball. And, and that's going to kind of give them a little bit of uh, a little more of a, you know, projection as to, okay, how's this class look now? You know, if we, if we don't get Eric Armstead, you know, if the, if the coaching staff realizes this guy slips because, you know, Mondo has decided he's going to transfer because he can't play at USC because of some type of mysterious health condition, Okay, we're, we're scrambling now. <laughs> we got to get somebody else here to play, you know, defensive end position, or like you said, maybe you know, defensive tackle position. Uh, a lot of people like him as an offensive tackle as well. You know, wherever USC projects him, 
uh, all of a sudden they're going to be down a guy and they're going to have a month basically to uh, to scramble and try to find a plan B for that. So that will help them. And uh, we've seen, you know, USC be able to do a lot in a limited amount of time. I mean, last year, you know, Anthony Sorrell was a great example of a kid that, I mean, they didn't even have any contact with him until the Army All-American Bowl. And that's, you know, that's, that's early January. And uh, basically from that point, getting him in on a visit, they turned his commitment from Stanford. Uh, obviously, that was a unique cir- circumstance because a lot of talk was Jim Harbaugh was going to the NFL, which he ended up going. Um, and so, you know, that, that kind of helped turn things a little bit with Anthony Sorrow. Uh, but he looked like he was really already on board and ready to go uh, even kind of before Harbaugh made that announcement that he was going to go to the 49ers. So USC uh, can, can work diligently and, and work quickly, um, especially when they don't have to worry about a bowl game. I mean, that's the one positive to all this uh, with sanctions is that, you know, with, with no bowl game, uh, the UC coaches, man, they're on the road big time. Uh, December and January, uh, they're hitting it hard, and um, that kind of gives them a little extra opportunity to go in and, and recruit these guys. So uh, we'll see. You know, December is, like I said, a little bit of chance to, for USC to catch their breath, take a step back and say, okay, this is what we got for the 2012 class. Let's move ahead. All right. And then the last three guys people want to know about, a couple uh, big out-of-state recruits. Uh, what about Brian Nance out of Texas, who has USC in his top three? It looks to be OU versus USC. Noah Spence, who has USC in his top list and says distance isn't an issue. Or even Mario Edwards, a Florida State commit, saying he plans to take an official visit to USC. Well, let's talk about uh, Mr. Mario Edwards, who's uh, the number one ranked defensive end um, out of Denton, Texas. He's a, uh, a 6'3", 275, a guy that could probably end up moving inside. I think a lot of people kind of feel like he might end up being a defensive tackle because he's such a big body. Uh, committed to Florida State early. His dad went to Florida State. A little bit of a legacy there, but lately there's been a lot of talk that he wants to stay closer to home, and it seems like Oklahoma really has the beat on his commitment and might end up being the team to beat for him. Um, USC's trying to get an official visit. A little bit of that kind of got interrupted because of the resignation of Willie Matt Garza. He was the lone recruiter for Texas for USC and had a lot of connections uh, to Texas. And now USC's kind of got to jump back and say, okay, now we've got to have somebody else kind of pick up that slack. It sounds like it's going to be Clay Helton. He's recruited Texas before uh, when he was at Arkansas State and Memphis. So, you know, he does have some connections there, and he is familiar with that area. And he's a hell of a recruiter. I mean, I've talked about it before. I think Clay Helton's a, a little kind of an underrated guy as far as uh, being able to uh, sell the program. And, and he's definitely a guy that's uh, definitely got a great personality for recruiting. He works really hard at it. Um, so, you know, they're working to get an official visit. But he's a bit of a long shot right now. I, I, I don't know if uh, even official visit, you're going to get him away from Oklahoma. That kind of seems to be where he's leaning at this point. Uh, Noah Spence is a, another five-star defensive end, probably a little more of your prototypical defensive end at 6'4", 245, uh, coming out from Pennsylvania, uh, your way uh, originally, Mr. Abraham. Um, he's a, a guy that's definitely talked about USC. He has USC kind of in his top three, going to take an official visit for sure. There's been some rumblings from back there that, you know, he really likes USC and he, he really likes the thought of, of living in Southern California and kind of getting away from home. But then you also hear the next week that he wants to stay closer to home and maybe he's going to go somewhere like Pitt. Uh, it's, it's really, it's really hard to figure out. He's not a guy that does interviews. So 
it's kind of hard to, to get a real read on what the situation is and, and uh, you know, what kind of kid is he? I mean, has he got the personality to, to, to come down and, and be a guy that can, you know, live away from home? Sometimes you just talk to these kids and you get their disposition and you kind of get their attitude towards life in general. You know, talk to a kid, for example, like Zach Banner. Zach Banner sounds like a guy that could live in Southern California, could live in Los Angeles and be fine. He seems very open, very cultured, and, 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 and very uh, excited about you know, kind of experiencing new things and, and, and kind of embracing diversity and being a part of kind of that fast pace. He just has that personality, you know, for life. Some kids don't, you know, some kids just really like the small town college atmosphere and you kind of can see, kind of can tell, you know, the way they talk about teams and schools and, and just uh, kind of about the recruiting process in general. So it's hard to read that with Noah Spence because we have yet to talk to him. But he is a guy that it sounds like USC is definitely going to secure an official visit. And that's always kind of, you know, these things up in the air. You know, when a kid comes in on an official visit, USC's greatest asset in recruiting is those coaches and, and getting those coaches around the players. And it seems like, you know, they really seem to, to do a great job selling the university. And maybe by the time he comes in on an official visit, which will probably be towards the end of the season, after the season, uh, USC will have the McKay Center finished. And that will be an interesting, you know, turn on recruiting and see, you know, how facilities, you know, can actually maybe benefit recruiting. They, they've kind of been a hindrance for the past, I don't know, 30 years <laughs> for USC. Uh, maybe now, you know, there'll actually be something that uh, kind of sway a kid towards USC. Um, and uh, last but not least, uh, you know, Brian Nance, again, Texas. Uh, Willie Matt Garza guy that talked a lot about, you know, coming out to USC on a visit with, uh, you know, Willie Matt Garza. Willie Matt Garza is not a part of the staff anymore. It's kind of hard to figure out kind of what his, what his contact has been with the staff. Um, you know, I think – you know, he probably still coming on a visit because he's one of those guys that's been pretty vocal about, you know, making sure that he got out to see USC. USC has to see him in person. One of the issues with Brian Nance is that he blew his ACL last year. So this is kind of his first year playing, and he didn't play at the beginning of the season. So they need to make sure that he's going to be healthy. And, and again, you're talking about, you know, 15 to 20 rides. You can't bring in a guy that's, you know, so-so with an ACL. Um, that, you know, kind of brings up even Brian McDonald. Daniel, the uh, running back slash linebacker from Torrance, California, another guy that just recently blew his ACL, and I think that might spell the end for USC recruiting him. They just can't have a lot of chance guys with injuries that they're bringing in the program, uh, especially at the middle linebacker position, which Nance doesn't really play, and, and that's kind of where I don't know where he fits into the grand scheme of things. They need a middle linebacker that could come in and, and maybe you know play right away. They just don't have – a lot of depth at that position right now. I didn't even have depth at that position like right now, like today. I mean, you know, you've got uh, Gallipo who struggled, and then you've got um, you know Lamar Dawson who's who's hopefully going to be healthy here, and and they can start to bring him in the mix because I think he might be an answer to that. But behind him, it's you know kind of walk-on type guys. You got you know, Dallas Kelly and just some guys that you know they're serviceable guys, but they need some depth and some some players that can come in and, and really play some big minutes for them. So we'll see how that happens. Brian Dance, I, I think it's kind of a, I'd say probably still 60-40 he comes in and visits, but, you know, as far as an update and, and how he how he fits in the grand scheme of things, I, I kind of don't know. I, I think that that may be a little bit up in the air. Um, you know, you're also competing with a guy like Noir Davis, who's now just recently said that he's going to officially visit USC November 26th. Noir Davis is 6'4", 6'5", 225-pound uh, outside linebacker from the Villages, Florida, and uh, he's a kid that committed to Stanford over the summer and originally from Irvine, California. 
definitely wants to get out to the, to the West Coast. I get the vibe from his family and talk to his mom that they're just West Coast people. And, again, talking to him personality-wise, you just get the vibe from talking to the kid. This is a kid that could live in L.A. and be okay. He's not going to get homesick. He's not going to get freaked out by all the tall buildings. I mean, he's, he's cool. He doesn't need to, like, go fishing after practice or whatever. You know, when the kid starts talking about, yeah, I really like to go fishing, and you go, okay, USC's probably not the school for you. There's not a lot of lakes around USC. So, you know, with DeMar Davis, that's a kid I think, you know, really kind of wants to get back to the West Coast, wants to get back to a, a faster pace of life, um, and, uh, and we'll see what happens with him. He's coming in November 26th, still committed to Stanford, and obviously Stanford's doing a lot of things right now, so it might be hard to get him away. But, again, you're kind of comparing him with Nance and maybe some other guys. You know, USC – probably needs to get a guy that's going to be a Mike linebacker. That's that's really the position where they lack some depth and they need to get somebody in there that might be able to play for them next year. All right, Gerard. Well, great stuff. We got to a lot of these recruiting questions, and we apologize we haven't had Gerard on lately with all the team stuff, but it's good stuff, and you can always check him out. We try to have him on the our Ustream show as well, and we might be doing, Gerard, it's been, we're working on this. We might do a, do a show, a special Ustream show uh, at the game for Thursday night, so we're going to Post stuff on uscfootball.com. Check it out. We might do some pregame, halftime, and postgame stuff, but that would be a lot of fun. You can hear what uh, the uscfootball.com staff has to say while the game's going on. Is, is, is that done, though? Are we, are, we, are we already done with questions? Is that all? Is that's that all it. we have? That's all we got, Gerard. That's, I mean, oh there was a ton. We, you guys are slacking out there. I mean, we have a backlog <laughs> here, and I, I figured that I'd be on here for at least another hour. We, well, we, we can't do the show that long, unfortunately. But, oh, okay. Yeah, we already so got, do have more questions. You're just withholding stuff from me, aren't uh, you? I would You're depriving do. the fans of knowledge we're pushing that knowledge uh, we're pushing that hour and 15 minute barrier at the uh, for the podcast we try to keep it under that if we can like an hour is good but we don't want to go too much longer than that okay i get the message you got it all right <laughs> well but we'll check out gerard on the Ustream show and we'll we'll post more info on that on uscfootball.com thanks again gerard for joining us thank you for having me i will be back hopefully sooner rather than later next time for sure for sure and then uh USC fans, definitely check out Thursday. We'll try to do the Ustream show then. Everyone else will be back again next week on Monday talking about USC football and USC recruiting on the Peristyle Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 